podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. Podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. I know everyone is doing well because football is coming back, not just in Italy, but just about everywhere in Europe. But we'll get to that in just a moment. On today's episode, we'll start with the news as we always do. But I'm going to change the order up a little bit. I'm going to start with the Serie A, then I'll do a roundup of what's going on in Europe, followed by Napoli news. In part two, I'm going to start a series where we cover the possible transfers into the club based on the rumors we're seeing in the Italian media. And finally, in part three, we'll cover another classic Napoli match. And today's match is Napoli versus Genoa from the 2006-2007 campaign. Getting right into it, on Thursday we got the big news that Minister Spadafora and the Italian government approved a restart of Serie A. The Coppa Italia will be played first with the semi-finals originally scheduled to be played on June 13th and 14th, but now appear to be on the 12th and 13th, and the finals will be on the 17th. The championship will resume on June 20th with the four matches from match day 25, which were Hellas Verona, Cagliari, Torino Parma, Inter Sampdoria, and Atalanta Sassuolo. Atalanta Sassuolo will be the first match played and could potentially be moved up a day and played on the 19th, and this will be a really symbolic and emotional moment for Bergamo and Italy when you consider how devastated the city and the country were by COVID-19. Now, unless you're an Inter supporter, this plan makes a lot of sense. If Milan, Juventus, or Napoli make the final of the Coppa Italia, they would play two matches in three or four days, but then get a week off before they play in Serie A. And the other clubs who don't have a game in hand, so that's Bologna, Brescia, Fiorentina, Genoa, Lazio, Lecce, Roma, and Spal, would not play until the 23rd, so they'll get a few extra days of training, which will hopefully reduce the likelihood of injuries. The reason why I say this plan doesn't make sense for Inter is because if Inter advanced to the final of the Copa, then they would play three matches before the majority of the league even resumes play. Inter, Juventus, and Milan all appealed to Lega Serie A to move the final of the Copa Italia to August 2nd, which was declined by FIGC President Gabriele Gravina. Inter have threatened to play their Primavera squad, which is similar to what Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool did back in December, when the club had a Carabao Cup match and a Club World Cup match 24 hours apart. I wouldn't be too thrilled if I were a Lazio supporter either because it means Juventus will get at least one, if not two, Coppa Italia matches to improve its form before resuming Serie A, which will make it that much more difficult for Lazio to catch them. But then again, I think Lazio supporters are just happy to have a chance to fight for the Scudetto, and they're not as deep, so the extra week of training could be better for them as well. The clubs are also battling over who gets to play on the 12th and who gets to play on the 13th. Originally, Juventus-Milan was scheduled to be played on the 12th, which makes no sense to me because neither of these clubs will play on the 20th. By the time you hear this, a decision should have been made in a meeting on Monday, which will determine the final schedule. 
I've also heard some talk about eliminating extra time from the Copa matches and going straight to a shootout, so we'll see if that is decided on Monday as well, though I'm not sure if it's on the agenda. Besides the dates of the matches, the times of the matches have also been a point of discussion. The main concern with playing games in the summer is the heat, so the clubs have been pushing to play in the evening to reduce the likelihood of injuries and dehydration. ANSA is reporting that of the 124 matches remaining to be played, only 10 will be played at the 5.15pm time slot local time. None of those matches will be played in the southern provinces of Napoli and Lecce, and no club will have more than one daytime match. Over half of the matches will be scheduled at the latest time slot, which is 9.30pm local time, and about 50 matches will be at 7.15pm. It didn't take long for Gravina to call out Giovanni Malago, president of the Italian Olympic Committee, who was working hard to convince Badafora to go to Plan B, which is a playoff and play out. And last episode, we talked about broadcasting rights and Spadafora's desire for matches to be broadcast for free. Spadafora commented on this recently, saying, If it will go on, definitely. We need health, we must avoid gatherings, and the need for public order. For various reasons, starting from the passion of Italians, there must be a signal. It means broadcasting all the matches in the clear, which means for free. I spoke with the currently interested broadcasters. In the next few days, I will try this mediation. I do not rule out interventions like a regulatory decree. Finally, in an interview with Corriere dello Sport, Juventus president Andrea Agnelli said that he expects stadiums to be partially filled starting in July. And this might sound a bit crazy, but as you'll see in the next segment, some European leagues are already doing this. Speaking of Europe, the English Premier League is set to resume on June 17th with the Aston Villa, Sheffield United, and the Manchester City Arsenal matches. A handful of matches will be played on neutral grounds to avoid having fans gather outside of stadiums. Unlike Serie A, the EPL is looking to play the FA Cup during the season. The quarterfinals will be played on June 27th and 28th, the semifinals on July 18th and 19th, and the final on August 1st. And fortunately, after the latest rounds of tests, there were no additional positive cases. In Spain, La Liga worked out a deal with MediaPro to allow matches to be broadcast for free for the guests of the RSA, the category most affected by the coronavirus emergency. In France, Lyon president Jean-Michel Aulas is appealing to restart Ligue 1. He said the Premier League will resume on June 17th. Let us resume training from June 2nd and then play until the end in July, just 15 days after the British and everyone else. He's also started a petition for the resumption of Ligue 1. The Hungarian League, which resumed on May 23rd, played its latest round of matches in front of fans. One out of every five seats were filled, and the Polish and Serbian leagues are also looking at bringing spectators back. The Football League in Switzerland will restart on June 19th and should end on August 2nd. The clubs approved the increase in substitutes to five per game for each team. The Danish League is looking at using screens and the Zoom app to allow fans to support their clubs during matches being played behind closed doors. And the Swedish government has approved the resumption of the Swedish Football Championship, which will resume on June 14th, also behind closed doors. 
Moving on to Napoli, it looks like Costas Manolas will be out for another month with his muscle injury, which means the Partenope will be without the Greek defender for the Coppa Italia semi-final and the final if Napoli get there. He would likely miss at least two of their Serie A matches after play resumes as well. Meanwhile, it looks like Lorenzo Insigne will indeed entrust Vincenzo Pizzacane with negotiating his new contract. About a month and a half ago, we learned that the Italian had parted ways with his former agent, Mino Raiola. In transfer news, the Dispor is reporting that Kaladu Koulibaly has already refused an offer from PSG of 12 million euros per year for five seasons. Apparently, he would prefer to play in the Premier League and especially for Liverpool. Liverpool is one of the clubs interested in signing Koulibaly, but so far the clubs have different valuations on the defender. Apparently, De Laurentiis will be meeting with Koulibaly's agent very soon, and that's Fali Ramadani. And this will be an important meeting not just because of the financials, but also because Ramadani represents a number of players that have been linked to Napoli, including Luka Jovic and Sardar Azmoun, as well as many Napoli players with the club who would like to renew, including Nikola Maksimovic, Diego Deme, and Kevin Malqui. Moving on to Arkadouj Milik, Gazzetta is reporting that De Laurentiis has given Milik 20 days to sign a new contract, after which he will be put on the market. Tuto Sport is reporting that Napoli's preferred option is to sell Milik, but if the club can't agree to terms of a sale, then we shouldn't rule out a second option, which is that Napoli could renew Milik with the goal of selling him immediately to Juventus. The hardest part of this arrangement is getting the player to agree, because otherwise there could be benefits for both clubs. For instance, if Napoli renew Milik for two years, then immediately loan him to Juventus with an obligation to buy, as Tuto Sport points out, then Napoli would get to keep the price high while Juventus would be able to spread the payment over two years. According to Lauro Publica, now that Icardi is not an option, Milik is the number one target to reinforce the attack for Juventus. Apparently the club is willing to offer an annual salary of 5 million euros compared to the 1.8 million he makes now and the 4.2 million euro offer from Napoli. As far as Alan goes, there's no rush to sell the midfielder. His current contract does not expire until 2023, so unlike the situation with Milik, who could walk away for free after next season, there's no need to take a haircut to sell Alan. I think Napoli will definitely sell him if they get the right price, but with that much term left, Napoli can afford to wait until the end of next season to make a decision. By then, we'll know whether we'll be playing in the Europa League or the Champions League, which will then dictate what the club can afford to spend. Alan makes 2 million euros a year now, and PSG offered him 6 million a year in January of 2019, so Alan's camp is looking for 5 million a year all in. That's not possible today, but a year from now, that could well be in the realm of the possible. But it's quite possible that the right offer does come this transfer window. We've previously talked about the interest from Carlo Ancelotti at Everton. Corriere della Mezzogiorno is reporting that Alan would be the perfect heir to Tomas at Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid. So that'll do it for the news. In part two, we'll cover the latest transfer news.
Okay, so last episode I mentioned that we'd pretty much covered all the transfer possibilities for the current Napoli squad. So for the next few episodes, we'll cover transfer rumors for potential players coming in. Since there are so many, I'm going to break it up into three or four episodes, and in each one we'll cover a third of the field. So today we'll focus on attacking players, but there are so many of those that we'll use this episode and next episode just to talk about the attacking players. In subsequent episodes, we'll talk about options at midfield and in defense. And credit to Twitter account at SSC Napoli News underscore, which is one of my favorite Twitter accounts. They do an excellent job of summarizing just about every report out there in the Italian media, which was very useful in putting this segment together. And they also have some pretty cool images. So let's start with Jeremy Boga. The most important news we got recently was that Chelsea do not intend to exercise their buyback clause, which I was convinced they would, even if it was just for financial reasons. But on the latest episode of Calcioland, David Amoyel explained that the buyback clause is actually more complicated than what we originally thought, and that the buyback increases with performance. So for Chelsea, it probably wasn't worth it to exercise the clause, and he also suggested that sometimes these are goodwill decisions that can be useful for future negotiations. On Sunday, Sassuolo Sporting Director Giovanni Carnavali said, Boga has many offers from Italy and abroad. We made a real effort to sign him outright and we now will evaluate the situation. The objective is to keep him. We must have a project and focus on growth. Sacrificing big names is sometimes necessary, but not always. According to Nicolo Schira, Napoli are preparing an offer of 22 million euros for Boga, whereas Sassuolo are looking for 35 million euros and the clubs have been talking since December. And finally, Juventus is also interested, and Junta Lee has no intention of getting involved in an auction. If that happens, he will move on. Another player that has been heavily linked to Napoli is Zenit striker Sardar Azmoun. Azmoun spoke recently on Iranian state television, where he said, I have a contract with Zenit. I'm focused on the team, hoping that everything will go well. I've been in Russia for eight years. I have a good experience. I would like to try a new challenge. I hope it starts soon. When asked about Napoli, he said, I can't say anything specifically. The clubs should talk. Now, there are two big obstacles that could get in the way of Asmoon joining Napoli. The first one is easy to overcome, which is the price. Zenit has been clear that they will not listen to offers for less than 30 million euros, while Napoli are only willing to pay 15 million euros. Again, that's just money. If Gattuso and Napoli really want the player, they'll have to pay more. And if they want him that badly, it's probably because they've sold Milik, and therefore there is a gap to fill. And if we sold Milik, which would bring in 40 to 50 million euros, then we can certainly afford to pay 30 million for Asmoon. Though, I suppose he could also be a replacement for Fernando Llorente, who's expected to move on as well. The bigger issue, though, is the fact that Napoli already have the maximum number of non-European Union members on the squad, so to bring Esmoon in, another non-EU player would have to be shipped out. Some possible options are Colombian goalkeeper David Ospina, Brazilian midfielder Alan, and Mexican forward Irving Lozano. Also, Gazzetta had previously reported that Juntoli had made contact with Zenit, but was not willing to negotiate until Merton's future was known. But then Gazzetta also reported that Gattuso wants to play a more offensive style and that De Laurentiis would have pulled the trigger on Asmoon in January if the non-EU slot was available. 
Finally, Zenit's CEO had previously denied that the clubs were negotiating for Asmoon, though you wouldn't expect him to say anything different, and Asmoon's agent Vincenzo Morabito previously indicated that Asmoon does not have the minimum qualities desired by Napoli. Moving on, Everton Suarez is another player that has been heavily linked to Napoli. Everton was quoted on Saturday saying, I absolutely want to be a part of Gremio's history and continue what has been done so far. It's a pleasure for me to wear this shirt. I will try to honor it for as long as I can. I have to say the new kit is really nice. We are very happy to wear it, suggesting he's quite content where he is now. Last week, Gremio president Ronaldo Bozan Jr. said, there are no offers right now. There was a conversation between Everton's agents and Napoli more than a month ago, but it didn't progress. A European club buys 100% of Everton. Therefore, we work out the 100%, then negotiate with each party. But the same day, Foot Mercato reported that Napoli had offered 27 million euros for the Brazilian and that Gremio had proposed him to PSG and Real Madrid. And according to Corriere dello Sport, Polzan also said that they granted Napoli permission to talk to the players and that the 25 million euros reported in the papers is not enough. The last player I'll update on is Werder Bremen's Milo Rashica. The latest report from Correa de los Sport is that the minimum asking price for Rashica is his termination price of 38 million euros, which is pretty expensive. They've also reported that Napoli have been interested in the striker since 2016. And one challenge with Rashica, according to Radio Marte, is that there are a number of other clubs that are interested in him, many of whom can offer Champions League play, including Liverpool and Leipzig. So that's it for the first half of the potential attacking players. Next episode will cover Ricardo Orsolini, Jean-Philippe Mateta, Victor Osimen, Emmanuel Dennis, and perhaps others. And that's it for part two. In part three, we'll review a really interesting classic Napoli match. Like I mentioned at the top, today's classic Napoli match is Napoli vs Genoa from the 2006-2007 season, which is a bit of a hipster choice, but I certainly think this was an important match in the club's history, and I think the story around the match is just as interesting as the match itself, so I'll spend quite a bit of time on the build-up more than I normally do. This story begins a few years prior to this match. Napoli were playing in Serie B at the time, and had racked up a debt that was reported to be about £46 million. That may seem insignificant now, but for a Serie B club 15 years ago, it was way too high. It was so high, in fact, that Napoli was declined a Serie B license, which ultimately led to the club declaring bankruptcy. Fortunately, a regulation had been introduced in Italy that allowed cities whose clubs collapsed to retain a franchise under a different company, but the new company would have to start in Serie C1. Four companies had been set up to compete for the franchise, one of which belonged to Perugia's president Luciano Gauci, 
who unfortunately passed away earlier this year. Another one belonged to Siena's late president, Paolo De Luca, but the winning bidder was a prominent Italian filmmaker named Aurelio De Laurentiis. So that's how Napoli ended up in Sedici Uno in 2004. Genoa was also there, albeit for different reasons. In the 2004-2005 campaign, Genoa were competing in Serie B, and in fact won Serie B that season, but were found guilty of fixing their final match against Venezia. So instead of being promoted to Serie A, they were placed at the bottom of the table and relegated to Serie C1. In the 2005-2006 season, Napoli won Group B to earn a promotion to Serie B. Meanwhile, Genoa finished runners-up in Group A, but won the playoffs so that they were promoted as well. There, both clubs joined Juventus, who had been relegated to Serie B because of the Calciopoli scandal. Not only were Juventus relegated, but they also started the season with minus 9 points. Genoa started the season undefeated through their first 8 matches with 6 wins and 2 draws. Napoli got off to a decent start as well with 4 wins, 3 draws, and a loss. Meanwhile, Juventus started with 7 wins and a draw. So by the end of match day 8, Genoa were in 1st, Napoli were in 2nd, and Juventus, despite starting with negative 9 points, had already shot up to 5th place. Juventus had retained quite a few of their Serie A players from the previous season, including Alessandro Del Piero, David Trezeguet, Pavel Nedved, and Gigi Buffon, and they also promoted Sebastian Jovinko and Claudio Marchisio from their Primavera squad. Juventus were determined to return to Serie A as quickly as possible, and they didn't suffer their first loss until match day 19. Nevertheless, Napoli and Genoa remained competitive through the middle of the season. By the end of match day 22, Juventus and Napoli were tied at the top of the table on 44 points, and Genoa was only 2 points behind. Bologna, Rimini, and Piacenza were very much in the mix as well. But from about the three-quarter mark of the season, Juventus started to pull away, and almost every week after that, their margin grew. This match between Napoli and Genoa was on the final day of the season, but it was still a very meaningful one. Heading into this match, Napoli were one point up on Genoa, so a win or a draw would guarantee Napoli a promotion, while Genoa needed a win to guarantee themselves a promotion. Eduardo Reja was in charge of Napoli. Reja had a long coaching career, but most of it had been in Serie B up until this point. He was the second coach in the De Laurentiis era after Giampiero Ventura and was very successful in his time with the club. Reja lined up his men in a 3-5-2 formation with Gennaro Yezzo in goal. The back three were Maurizio Domizzi, Paolo Cannavaro, and Gianluca Grava. The midfield from left to right were Mirko Savini, Fabio Gatti, Francesco Montervino, Mariano Bollezzino, and Giorgi Garrix. And up top were Roberto Souza and Emanuele Calaio. Genoa were coached by a young, up-and-coming coach whose entire professional managerial career, which was only three years young, was spent leading Crotone to a promotion from Serie C to Serie B. That manager's name was Giampiero Gasparini. Gasparini lined up his squad in a 3-4-3 formation with Brazilian keeper Rubinho in goal. The back three were Gaetano De Rosa, Francesco Bega, and Andrea Maziello. In the midfield were Fabiano, Omar Milanetto, Manuel Coppola, and Marco Rossi. And up top were Julio De Leon, Giuseppe Greco, and Marco Di Vaio. Tutto a posto, Genoa da destra a sinistra, dei vostri teleschermi, maglia rosso-blu, si comincia, Napoli da sinistra a destra.
Both sides started the match with a lot of energy and you could feel the tension at the Stadio Luigi Ferraris knowing that a promotion to Serie A was on the line. The first 15 minutes were back and forth and in the 18th minute Napoli created their first big chance of the match. The build-up to this opportunity started in Napoli's box, where Napoli defended Genoa's attack to gain possession. Montervino did well to pop the ball over Genoa midfielder Coppola to get it to Souza, who had tracked back to defend. Souza controlled with his chest before playing the return pass to Montervino into space on the right wing. Montervino played the ball to Caleo on the left side. Caleo slowed the play down, then played a perfectly placed cross into the 6-yard box for Souza, who had rejoined the attack. Souza got a strong head on the ball that beat the keeper, Rubinho, but didn't beat his crossbar, so the score remained nil-nil. In the 25th minute, Caleo nearly put Napoli ahead, but his half-volley from the top of the box just sailed over the bar. Genoa had a few opportunities of their own before the end of the first half. Yetzo made a superb save on De Leon's free kick. Then, in the final minute of added time, De Rosa's header struck the upright and stayed out. The sides went into the break with the score tied 0-0. Genoa opened the second half very strongly. Shortly after Yetzo parried away a long-range effort, Marco Di Vallo had an excellent opportunity, but his header sailed over the bar. Then De Leon had an opportunity in the 57th minute with a clear shot from the right wing, but he pulled it, missing the far post. Though Genoa were dominating, Souza nearly scored again in the 56th minute. Caleo had done really well to win a free kick at the edge of Genoa's box on the left wing. Boliasino played a left-footed, outswinging cross into the box, which Souza rose up to and headed hard into the ground from the edge of the six-yard box, but somehow Rubinho kept it out. In the 66th minute of this match, the scoreboard updated to show that Triestina had scored to tie Piacenza 1-1, which was very important for both clubs. Piacenza, who were in 4th, needed a win to force a playoff for the 3rd promotion spot. The rule in Serie B is if 4th places 10 points or more behind 3rd, then 3rd automatically gets promoted. Divayo got another opportunity in the 70th minute. Juric played a ball over the top to pick out Divayo's run. Yetzo came out to challenge, but Divayo got there first, but his volley went just wide of the goal. In the 76th minute, with Genoa all over Napoli, Gasparini made a substitute to bring on a fourth attacker. But it was Napoli that would actually get the next chance. Splendida coordinazione, calcia benissimo dopo la respinta. 
e ancora una volta Rubinho riesce a respingere molto bene forse il tiro non era potentissimo però preciso bravo il portiere del Genoa che adesso è per terra This chance came off of a corner kick. Genoa cleared to the top of the box where Boliasino smashed a powerful volley on target, but Rubinho did well to keep it out. Then in the 88th minute, De Leon tried his luck from about 40 yards out with a powerful dipping shot, but Yetzel made an amazing save to keep that one out as well. And then, with a minute and 20 seconds remaining of the 6 minutes of added time, this happened. That was a confirmation that the Piacenza Triestina match had ended in a 1 1 draw, meaning both of these clubs were automatically promoted. And even though this match was not yet done, the fans rushed on the field, even the media ran on the field and were interviewing players. Some of the Genoa players had already undressed and team staff had to go back into the dressing room to get their uniforms. Between the match stewards at the match and the announcements on the PA system, they were able to get everyone off the field to play the final minute of this match. Genoa's captain Marco Rossi actually played the final minute in his Mutandi, I don't know why they didn't just end this match. I don't even think they played the full minute before the final whistle blew and everyone rushed on the field again. Even though there were no goals, this was one of the most captivating and entertaining matches I've watched in a long time. It was also very stressful to watch, even though I already knew the outcome. But for all Napoli and Genoa Tifosi, this is a must-watch match. As far as performances go, Montervino had a strong first half before Genoa took control. Kaleo and Souza were both excellent up top, especially when Genoa was applying pressure in the second half. They'd often win possession around midfield on Napoli's clearances and then hold up play which gave the defense an opportunity to catch their breath. Napoli coach Reha's career really benefited from his time at Napoli. In his first year, he took Napoli to the Serici promotion playoff final but lost to Campania rivals Avellino. In his second season, he saw Napoli promoted to Serie B and this match was in his third season in charge, getting promoted to Serie A. Rea kept Napoli up in his first season with Napoli in Serie A, and then in the following season, he had Napoli in first place at one point, but after a run of nine matches in which Napoli only collected two points, Rea was dismissed and replaced by Roberto Donadoni. Rea would go on to coach Lazio and Atalanta. So that's my review of Napoli's final match in Serie B. That's also going to do it for episode 14. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions or if you'd like me to review anything in particular, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5 or you can find the pod at Pod. You can also find my work at worldfootballindex.com. Until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempre. Ay, se la lágrima me le salió de tu sayado. Tu sayado.